Well, we can't be too simple and believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, simple people is the ones that don't believe in him. Amen. This, I hate to ask you to do this. Let's stand again and appreciate the Lord. <laughs> You've been so faithful in doing that and worshiping the Lord. And God has been so real. Here, I, I thought as we was praying for those individuals, it's a good time to get healed, but it's been a good time to get the Holy Ghost to get saved. Amen. When God's Spirit is, is present, uh, He just works just many different ways. He just wants to meet our needs. And so, still yet, if you've got needs tonight, why, we don't have a certain program, and you just, if you're hungry and you want to be fed, and you want the power of God in your life, well, I'll just sit down and be right real quiet and let these church people pray you through to a new dawning of a new day in your life. Hallelujah. And I guarantee you, you get the real thing, and that real thing is when you get it and it's an evidence of speaking in tongues, you're not ever going to forget it. It's a reality. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you, and tonight I really do appreciate the Lord beginning the new year. And uh, there's a lot of places we could be. Amen. A lot of things we could be doing. But we love the Lord. And he loves us. Now let's appreciate him. Let's, let's turn the button off to everything else. Just switch channels. Switch it to Jesus. And just appreciate him and love him. All right? we should never be satisfied really in God with our own life, but we ought to be concerned about those that are not in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. Just reach down and get your Bibles. We appreciate the singers and appreciate you. And just reach down and get your Bibles and turn to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Sometimes you never know what 
God wants. You get one thing and it seems like God says that's it and then uh, circumstances alter that and and here you are standing out there having studied on one thing and then God changes his mind if his mind was changed. You know, it might just be, and I'm not too proud to admit that sometimes uh, I get in the way of God. I think I ought to know a little bit about what's going on and and that uh, he's way up there someplace and he don't really know as much about it as I do. But uh, when we get down to the final analysis of it, God is here, God sees, God understands. And sometimes services are programmed by the response of individuals. And I really felt as God dealt with me on this that this really sounds a little bit out of place after God has blessed us and all of that. And then God assured me that his love and his compassion, and Brother Bruce talked this morning about the condition that the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus in, and yet in spite of all of that, the Bible says Jesus loved him. Amen. So uh, that's just don't want to bust your bubble, but just because God was just good to us doesn't mean he's really all that satisfied with us, okay? Is that all right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. He loves us and he's satisfied with where we're at. But there's a few things happening in the world today that we ought to take note of. And I was sitting in my office when some, a little while ago, not long ago. This is almost right off the press. All right. Hebrews 12.1 reads like this. Wherefore, seeing we also are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There's those that's already made it in, this witness to the fact that regardless of what happens in their life and our life that you can make it and then he said let us lay aside every weight and the sin I want you to notice that word sin not sins but sin with does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us father we thank you tonight for this great apostle with all his wisdom Father, and his knowledge, and yet it was not his, it was yours. We thank you, Father, for his writings and things that he has left us, admonish us. Father, in these last days that we might be able and understand that there are those that cheer us on and say we've made it under adverse circumstances. You can make it also, but we can't make it with the weight of this world and sin that sometimes besets us so easily. Father, and let us be patient in this day and hour, God. In the race that is won, one of these times it's going to be over. We'll sit down on the other side and glorify you. Now, Father, speak tonight out of your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Has it really ever dawned on you lately that there is a possibility that you could be lost. Amen. I'm not asking for upraised hands, but we're talking to Pentecostal people sometimes that we get it in our mind that uh, we have really completed the plan of salvation and, uh, uh, and there's no possibility we're just going to make it. In fact, I was talking to a brother the other day that says I have no doubt in my mind that I'm going to make it. Well, I like his faith, I like his attitude, but uh, he seems to be a little bit greater than one of the greatest apostles that I know of, because I was reading in my office, and my question was this, God, 
what is happening to the Christian world today? What is troubling people? What is causing individuals at one time shouted the glory of God and lived under the glory cloud of God, what happened that they are not in your presence anymore? What has really happened to individuals, and you know them and I know them, good Christians, good individuals at one time, and they are not in the house of God, and neither are they worshiping and serving God, and neither are they praying. Something happened someplace in their lives. And I was questioning God, God, what happens in our day and hour that causes people for the most part to go back on you? I look around and I think, well, there's not anything that I can see in my life that would cause me to go back on you. And then God referred me to a scripture in 1 Corinthians 9:27. And I quickly turned to that as the Spirit moved upon me, and I heard the Apostle Paul's voice ring down through the quarters of time unto my day, and I heard him say these words, I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others I myself should become a castaway. Now, it's a fearful thing when we stand and consider that even with the stature of the Apostle Paul, even with his greatness and all the revivals and establishments of the church and the ministry that God gave him, that he felt like there would be a possibility that he himself would lose out with the Lord and become a castaway. And this set some serious thinking to my heart and to my mind as to actually, God, what really is it that causes most individuals to lose confidence in one another and lose confidence in you? And when I considered the possibility that the Apostle Paul, with everything that he's ever done, uh, that he felt in himself that he wasn't yet there yet, he said that himself, I haven't yet attained. I haven't got there yet. I'm still struggling. I'm still believing. I'm still keeping myself under the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm still trying to perfect my life, but I'm not there yet. And uh, when I consider the possibility that he, with everything he ever had, could be lost, I decided I can say with conviction that my first priority is to be sure that I'm saved. Amen? And I've decided it doesn't make any difference what you do to me or what you say about me or anybody else. I'm going to see that I can keep under my body and bring it under control of the Holy Spirit so that I would be saved. Okay? Now somebody said, yeah, but the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's true. Amen. I don't have any argument with that. But what does believe on the Lord Jesus Christ mean? Does it just mean we pick out certain scriptures that satisfies our appetite and we use those scriptures to protect our own life, so to speak? Or does it mean a firm belief in God, 
in every aspect of our life and in every delicate situation, and we still believe God. Amen? So uh, your first priority tonight should be to make sure and make certain of your own salvation. Now, I'm going to tell you what God told me. And he said, if you're lost. Now, I look at different ways that a person could be lost. I've searched lives over almost 45 years of ministry, and I've watched individuals lose out with God, and I've searched for a lot of reasons why do they lose out with God. What is the primary thing? And you look for a whole lot of circumstances. But you're going to find out that it generally starts with one. Remember what I said? Paul said, lay aside every weight and the sin. Not the sins, but the sin. So there is a primary one thing that we want to look at. And if we are lost in the final analysis, and when it's taken, we're going to find out there is one main reason why individuals are lost or will be lost, and one main reason why there's a possibility that we might be lost, even with all of our self-righteousness and all the fact that we have obeyed the commandments of a living God as far as the basic foundation is concerned. But what type of a building are we building? Now, I called your attention a while ago to the writers. He said, lay aside the sin that does so easily beset us. Sin is singular. Uh, us is plural. So I'm very cautious in saying this very cautious, and I wouldn't say it other than I believe that the Holy Ghost moved upon my heart and on my life. I believe there is one besetting sin that endangers us, every one of us. Now, there may be others in our life, but most of them will stem from this one besetting sin that I'm going to try to outline for you, and that when one loses out with God and finds himself or herself, or whatever, in a backslidden state, it is the chief cause of that happening in our lives. I want you to listen to me carefully. I'm not up here just to toot my own horn, not up here to tell you that I have just heard from God, but I want you to understand the seriousness of the hour that we are living in. And once I point out this sin, then you're going to understand that you have been plagued with it at times, you will probably be plagued with it more and more as the devil becomes more serious in destroying our soul and in destroying our life. So I want you to hang on to what God has to say. The main reason that we will be lost, the main reason that others are lost, is because we allow ourselves to suffer offenses. Come on now. Look and check your own life and see how many times you've allowed somebody to offend you. And this is sometimes with some people the beginning and the, of the end because they can't find any place to lay down that offense. They allow little things to affect their vision of God and the things of God. Now what I want you to do, and I'm going to read this, Matthew 13 20 and 21. I just wrote that down a minute ago, and the uh, Spirit kind of quickened me on that. When it was talking about the sower and the seed, there's one particular place in the 20th verse.
where it said, But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Now notice what he says, Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is, what? Offended. He is offended sometimes at the word or sometimes of something that somebody has to say. Now, what we've got to wrestle against, what I've got to wrestle against, and sometimes ministers do this, and sometimes we all do that, when God deals with us in a specific way, why, we would rather not deal with those things that are pertinent to us. Amen? And when we become involved in that, we would rather just not say anything about it or skip over it real easy because it is really doing something to us. But I found out a long time ago that when God gives a message, it is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. And, and personally, I would just rather have skipped this because uh, there have been times and are times today that I get offended easy. And once offended, if I allow that root to grow and it becomes a tree, and I leave that in there, that's a sin. And the Bible tells me that no sin is going to be in the kingdom of God. In other words, the Bible is telling me that if I continue in those little offenses and let them grow to giant trees, I'm not going to make it in. It's that plain. That's why the devil doesn't bother us with that. He just comes along with some little foxes that just start to eat at the vine. And it doesn't really destroy the vine, it just dwarfs the vine until it never becomes what it's supposed to become because of those things. So you see, what we're getting at is things that the world runs after and things that really have destroyed. A lot of Christians are not solid but Jesus' name, baptized, God-forgiven individuals, we're not bothered with those things. But those little things that come in that seems to matter nothing at all, we become offended. And that offense has become the graveyard of a lot of good Christian individuals. They did not mean for it to grow that big. They did not mean for it to be that disruptive in their lives. They did not mean for those little offenses to grow into big ones, but yet in all of that they never laid it and placed it under the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing wrong in a sense of being offended, but put it under the blood. Put it under the blood. Let God take care of that. And when God takes care of it, he takes care of it right. And I don't know how many of you are, are Old Testament students or not. Brother Tyler let us know last night that we ought to be. But in the Old Testament, as an example, we find a man named Haman. Now this man doubtfully, uh, undoubtedly, 
was one of the stupidest people that ever put on a pair of shoes. All you've got to do is look in his life. He had everything in his favor. He rode the finest chariots. He ate the best food and he lived in the best house. And everybody thought old Haman was a good old Joel. And they made a practice of bowing down to him. He was second in command only to the king. But there was a fly in the ointment someplace. There was a little Jew called Mordecai. And uh, Mordecai really got under his skin. I mean, it didn't matter. Uh, of the thousands of individuals that bowed down to Haman, one little bitty Jew, insignificant, didn't bow down to Haman. And this really got under his skin. Now, how many of us have got people that consistently get under our skin? Everybody say, I don't have anybody like that. Come on, be truthful. I don't want to call you a liar. But every one of us has got somebody that consistently aggravates us. They just get under our skin. Maybe that's your wife or your husband. I don't know. I'm sure Tim gets under uh, Donna's skin a lot. Amen. And that's all right. That's all right as long as she don't stay offended at him. All right, and now the rest of you looked at now, and now just reason with yourself. There may be somebody out there, and and uh, he he was he was so annoyed at this little man simply because he wouldn't bow down to him, a and that annoyance got bigger and bigger until it dominated his thinking. It would be it would be all right if uh, if Haman would have just said. Well, that little Jew won't bow me. He don't respect me. And then just let it go. Said so that's his problem. And then just let it go. But instead, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it got really bigger than his life was. I mean, it dominated every waking moment of his thinking. It got into his life until his whole vision was clouded by this one little Jew called Mordecai. And after a while, now I want you to listen to what this story is trying to tell us. After a while, he got so annoyed by this little fellow until he plotted to destroy him. I will get rid of that individual that is offending me. Now I realize that most of us are not going to set out to get anybody personally killed. But there is something we ought to be aware of and very careful of. It's because of some offense we don't try to destroy somebody's character. Amen, Brother Hostoff. Good preaching. You're doing fine. But you see, an offenses will come. The Bible says that, but it also says... Woe unto him from whom offenses does come. In other words, let God handle that individual. Haman could have done that. But in an attempt to destroy a life uh, that annoyed him, he destroyed himself. Now there's a lesson in itself. If I was to stop here, it ought to be enough to let us know 
that offenses that grow and grow, starts out with little things, dominates our life, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, until finally there's something inside of us that says, I'm going to do my best to destroy that life. And in the process, our own lives, many people have already, and we're not above it, other than through the grace of God, our lives could be destroyed, others have. And it's amazing to me the power that people will give to just one little situation or some other person in their lives. Did you know that when you carry an offense around, you're giving that individual power over your life? Now, something coming back at me. I'm not throwing this at anybody. I'm talking to all of us, okay? It's not personally meant for anybody. It's, it's a warning for every one of us, myself included, that sometimes we can get so overburdened with things that happen in our life and to us that we allow those things to grow so much until we're going to take vengeance, we're going to get retribution, we're going to do whatever we can to destroy that individual, and in the process we ourselves could be destroyed, our spiritual life, because we're letting somebody else dominate our life. And uh, just as uh, new, uh, as far to the wood, I had just talked not too long ago to a minister friend of mine, and he told me this story, and this is true. There was a situation in a church where an older gentleman's grandson asked him to come to church. He had just got saved, and he was going to the church uh, down the road, wherever that might be, and uh, he went to ask his grandpa, and grandmother, he said, I know one time you went to church. It's been a long time. And I want you to come to church. And uh, the old gentleman said, well, son, we, we can't do that. And then the grandson said, Grandpa, what happened? I can remember you and your, and, and your faithfulness to God. I can remember hearing you pray. I can remember as a little child your testimony, the vibrancy of that testimony. And then I watched as something happened. And he said, I never did know what it was, and I know it's been years since you've been to church. Now I would like to know what happened that was so bad that you allowed it to destroy your Christian life. And I want you to listen to this, and this is a true story. The grandfather said there was a dispute over a new pilot. Some of the members wanted the pianna up here, and others wanted it down there. Come on. And uh, he said it got such a heated controversy that some of us left the church over that. Now, that's not an unfamiliar ground to most of us. Who are older, we've been through that. We know that if there's anything to argue about, people argue about it, okay? And we're not so superior sometimes, but what we are sometimes get ourselves right in the same vein. And then the boy said, Grandfather, tell me something. Which side was you on? He scratched his head a little bit, and that embittered man thought for a while. Then he yelled into the kitchen and said, Grandma, which side was we on? True story. And he allowed this thing to work, kept him out of church, 
maybe destroyed his Christian walk and his Christian life, and he couldn't even remember whether he wanted it up here or whether he wanted it down there. Offenses. Offenses. As far as God is concerned, can destroy a life just as much as cancer, or just as much as cigarettes, or just as much as dope can destroy a life just as effectively as that as Christian life. So that... <laughs> and I, I sat back and I, I reasoned that and I thought, how in the world can anybody be that stupid? And then I thought over some of the times that I was just that stupid. I'm glad I'm preaching to a bunch of people that's not that way. I don't know why I'm preaching this message unless it's just for me. Because I'm sure none of you have ever got down that low that you've allowed offenses to separate you from your loved ones, keep you from praying. I'm not talking about somebody don't go here, somebody don't go there. I'm talking about a life of Christ who's willing to accept somebody as they are and where they are and the way they are and not be offended at their life. I'm relatively, of course you wouldn't know that, hard nose as you think I am, but I'm relatively a sensitive person. Somebody says something against me, it hurts. I can handle that all right. But if they get on my family, I can't handle that very good. And the first thing I want to do is retaliate. They got no business saying that. They got no business doing that. After all, my family is A, number one, perfect, and wouldn't do anything in this world whatsoever to offend anybody. And so I'm offended. And so I get the fruit's mouth. I say to myself, self, you're going to have to do something about that. So if you're not careful, in order to protect yourself or your family, then you do your best to tear down that individual. I know you've never done it. And I'm learning better. And God has took me to the woodshed time and time again, and I'm learning, and especially after God breathed this message in my heart, I thought, God, I'm not going to let anybody cause me to lose my soul. So you just get as aggravating as you want to. <laughs> Amen. You just say things that cut to the core if you want to. But this old boy is going to go to the prayer shed, and he's going to pray it out, and you better do the same thing. Amen. Instead of letting it grow inside. It's amazing what power little offenses have over us. And if we're not careful, these offenses, one or a dozen or whatever, is going to cause us to lose our salvation. Impossible, you say. Paul didn't think it was. Paul said, I'm going to have to keep this whole fleshly body with all its place in these arms. If any man had a right to be offended, this man did. 
And I'm sure he was battling with those things. The Bible says uh, that, that uh, God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Somebody said, somebody said, well, that was his eyes, and somebody said that was something else. But I've always, and I still believe, it was some little individual uh, with, 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 a, with a demonic idea of destroying Paul. I can almost see every place the Apostle Paul went, here was this little individual that got under his skin. And Paul just simply says, I'm going to ask God to get this fellow out of my life. Could have been a, could have been a woman, I don't know. But I'm going to ask God to get this fellow out of my life. And you know what God said? Sure you do. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I'm going to leave him there. I'm going to test you and I'm going to try you. And I'm going to see just how close you are to me. Everybody, if we would be careful to admit it and don't be telling me about it, all right? Everybody has got somebody that, uh, it, that you're, you're on their critic list. There's somebody that don't like hardly anything you do. And there's somebody sometimes, now maybe you don't, I've got, some, I've got somebody someplace, every place I've been for 45 years has always been somebody that really didn't like me or like what I do. And there's always been somebody that has tried to destroy my character and tried to put me down. And this causes an offense in my life. Retaliation. They got no right to do that. I'm retaliating. And then the first thing you know, it grows. And it grows. And it grows. And the first thing you know, you can't even pray without that evil of offense creeping up in your prayer. You can't read your Bible without seeing that ugly face that offended you. You can't walk down the street without trying to avoid that. In other words, it dominates your life and gets you away from God. And the first thing you know, others have said it, if that's Christianity, I don't want any of it. If that person is a Christian, I don't want to be. And so most of the time, that individual that has been offensive to us and has offended us that individual just goes merely on their way without sometimes ever realizing that they have been offensive to us while we sit there and stand there and struggle with that thing that is slowly sapping the spiritual life out of us. What we don't realize is slowly but surely we are losing our grip on the greatest thing this world has ever known, the gift of God's salvation in our lives. And the closest to God we one time felt, we feel Him so far away. Hear me, saints. So far away. And the life we one time lived in reality, we feel that slipping from us. I've always been puzzled 
by a little story found in St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. And it's not, it's not anything that you haven't heard. But here was a little Gentile woman coming to Jesus, and she was begging him for help. And our loving, kind, heavenly Father, who's compassionate and who always had time for needs, treated this woman in such an awful way. In other places, we see Jesus showing compassion, even to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans. But here in this transaction, the woman cried out, My daughter has a devil. And Jesus just ignored her. He said one place that we shouldn't be offended at him. Okay? And then she turned to his disciples, and she began to cry after them, she thought that they might put in a little good word for her, but they did the same thing Jesus did. And finally, Jesus turned to that little lady and said, It's not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. Now talk about something that would cause you to be offended. That should have. But this little lady had a problem with her daughter. This little lady was not going to allow anything that anybody said, Jesus himself even, to cause an offense to come in her life and more or less not allow her daughter to be healed. Her primary purpose was not herself, not what Jesus acted and did to her, but her primary purpose was that little girl that was possessed of a devil and she wanted it healed. And a lot of souls untouched. And a lot of bodies that hasn't been healed because somebody has become offended at the way the thing is approached. But this little lady just stood there and said, You're right. I really have no right to ask you this. I know I don't have any, uh, any privileges in you. Salvation hadn't come to them yet. I know that I don't deserve anything at all. I don't deserve to sit at the table. I'm not asking that. She just said, even the dogs. You call me a dog? Okay, that's all right with me. But even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the master's table. What those individuals didn't want, I want. Okay? I think there's a lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us here. Because later on, this is what he said, Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. In other words, Jesus was saying, whatever I do in your life, whatever direction I take you, whatever prayers I answer or I don't answer, don't be offended in me. Because that's a lack of trust in me. Well, I wonder... How many of us would put up a pa with a pastor that treated you like the Lord treated this woman? Believe me, I'm not going to try. Amen. How many of you? When somebody come and somebody said, well, said, uh, we, we, my daughter or my son or whatever uh, needs healing, and this pastor looked at you and said, when you get your own life straightened out, and when you get faithful to God, and when you do what you're supposed to do, 
then God's going to come and touch that life, whatever it might be. How many of you would not be offended at me if I said that? Soul searching. Come on! And yet that most likely would be truth in a lot of lives. That little lady was aware. She had no business really asking him. All she wanted was just a little bit. They didn't seem to want too much. Left her crumbs under there. And yet, people today get offended, Sister Liz, because the pastor won't shake their hand. I have a joke. Okay, now if that little thing offends you, I want to be talking to grown-ups tonight. Is that all right? I don't want to be talking to little children. I want to be some way, somehow, in the midst of all of this, I want this to touch your life. I want you to see it's not a plaything. I want you to understand the seriousness of this hour and the seriousness of our lives and how the cunningness of the devil is out to destroy lives. And we are his primary target. Why? Because we boast of truth. And we do have it. We may not have all of it, but we've got foundational truth. But Jesus, and Paul especially in his writings, was always talking to us sanctified, spirit-filled individuals. Always writing and talking to us. Jesus himself was leaving things that we could glean from there. And yet, this woman that I'm talking about did not become offended. And because she didn't, because she didn't get to Pooh's mouth, because she did this walk off and say, well, there's nobody going to talk to me like that. Because she had one common thing in sight and one common thing in mind, she got from Jesus what she wanted, the healing of her daughter. Because she did not, would not become offended. Somebody said, well, I've got a right to be offended. You don't have any right to be offended. Amen. Somebody might hurt your feelings. Somebody might say some things. But Jesus is trying to tell us some things. Looking in another familiar story, I bet you'll be glad when I'm done. Well, I'll be done by another hour. Just hold your seat. Just hold fast. We're just getting started. Somebody say amen. Now then, we find... In St. John, the 11th chapter, a story of Jesus. After that, he'd heard that his friend Lazarus was sick unto death. And uh, his best friends, Lazarus with his best friend, Mary and Martha, had always seen to it that Jesus was treated royally. Always giving him a place to stay and sleep, and always giving him something to eat, and always serving him, and always anointing his feet, and all of that. So they assumed that Jesus, immediately hearing that, would be on his way. But Jesus waited two days. By the time he got there Mary and Martha's, to Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus had been dead four days. And immediately, Martha comes out and says, Now if you would have paid attention to the message we sent you, had Lazarus was sick unto death, you would have got here and my brother would still be alive. 
I'm kind of like Brother Bruce. I take offense sometimes the way somebody picture them as if they are superhuman and was able to accept all of this without any question whatsoever. But they wasn't able to do that. Mary first came out and said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She did not feel that Jesus handled the situation the way he should have. Nevertheless, Jesus goes to the cemetery, gives a command to roll the stone away, and Martha wasn't done yet. She said, don't even worry about it. You've been too late, and by now he's in there and he stinks. Well, don't worry about it. You've already messed my life up. You already didn't come. You should have been. We're your best friends. We give you everything. I don't like the way you handle the situation. Now, I don't think that Martha was just worried about her dead brother stinking. I don't think that for a minute. I think she had a problem. Amen. I think this lady had gotten offended. Deep down inside, and I'm getting ready to close, many of us are holding grudges. Maybe not necessarily just against one another, but sometimes against Jesus. Just like Mary and Martha did. Maybe we think He should have been more attentive to us when we pray. Because after all, Lord, You did say that if we'd ask, we'd receive. And yet I have asked, and I have asked, and I have asked, and I haven't received anything. Now, Jesus, I'm just getting just a little bit annoyed with you. Because after all, it couldn't be on my part. So a lot of us are offended at Jesus. I've heard some people say, well, I thought when I come and I heard the pre preacher preach, I thought Jesus was coming right away, and he's not here. So they've become offended because Jesus hasn't come yet. We've got people that just simply says, well, I don't know if he's ever going to come or not. Because Grandpa preached it and great-grandpa preached it, and, and I've heard it, and I've heard it ever since I was a little taught. That this is a generation that Jesus is going to come. I try to believe it. And this passes, and he still hasn't come. And uh, it's nearing the end, almost at 2,000, and surely he must be going to come at 2,000. Everybody says he is. I'm going to ask you something. What happens if he doesn't? A lot of people have based their whole religious experience upon the fact that 2,000 he is going to come. I don't know when he's going to come. I know it can't be very long. But I don't look for the minute the clock strikes, uh, whatever it might be, 12, and the year 2000 is here. I don't look for Jesus to say, it's time now. Everybody said this when I was supposed to come, I'm going to come. I don't look for that. I don't know when he's going to come. But I think we ought to live every day, every day like he's going to come tomorrow, and prepare like he wasn't going to come for a thousand years. So we hold grudges. We hold grudges sometimes against Jesus because he hasn't answered prayers like we thought he ought to. And we become offended at him. We don't like to say that. His hardest thing for me in my office is to say, Lord, you're right. 
I really have become offended at you because of the promises you have made to me that has not been fulfilled. And God, you know I don't have a whole lot of time left. And then he says, well, time's in my hands and not in you. And then prayers I've prayed. I remember one that that really stuck with me and, and it hadn't been for uh, prayers of saints and my family. Uh, it hindered me. And that's when I went to the hospital and they said Dad was dying and I laid my hand on him and I felt the power of the Holy Ghost. And he died anyway. And I was offended at God. I was offended at God because it hadn't been too much longer before that that He had placed a new heart in my body. And I thought, God, if you can do that for me, you can surely give Him a few more years I really need it. And I prayed that prayer and I felt the power of God and I thought, surely, he ought to get up out of that bed. I looked for him too. It wasn't very long after that he breathed his last breath. I was offended at God. I held that against God. And it did something to my life, and it did something to my ministry, until I finally realized, God, you know a lot of things that I don't know. And Dad has fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. And God only knows what would have been before him. He had endured a lot of things. He had accomplished a lot of things. He had had a lot of offenses. And he prayed through. And restored himself to other lives. And who knows what might have happened. I don't know. But I realize that God is in control. We hold grudges because of things that has happened to us. Sometimes in our homes, sometimes in our churches, sometimes in our jobs. And we, like Job's wife, we charge God foolishly. We need an attitude check. Oh, come on, somebody shout. I figured you'd shout over this message. I really did Everybody is not always going to treat you right. And everything is not always going to go your way. It's probably the best. Your way is probably the best. But it's not going to go your way. And as Christians, we have to learn to forgive. We have to learn to be patient. And we have to learn to be merciful. And we have to listen to the words of God. Blessed is he who shall not be offended. Revival comes, saints, in closing, when we get beyond ourselves and past our own petty offenses and focus instead upon the good things of God in our life. And we have a lot of opportunities in this day and hour, and the devil sees to it that we do, to be offended. His primary target is our soul. His primary purpose is to destroy our lives. And in case sometimes that we don't understand why our prayers are not answered, let us search our lives a little bit and find out, and I'm not accusing you, I don't know. Let us search our lives a little bit and see if maybe there isn't some offenses in our own life. 
that keeps God from working directly with us and honoring our requests. Shall we stop? I would love it tonight if you would leave here with a desire in your heart to search your life utmost to realize that I'm not purposely picking on you. I'm picking, uh, picking, if I'm picking at all, I'm picking upon the entire church of God to some way point to us that there are little things that can happen in our lives that has a great big effect upon our salvation. And maybe, possibly, the reason that we don't get some things that we ask for. I'm not making a judgment on you. I'm only making one on me. And his eye that can be just as offended as anybody else. Maybe more so. Some people got a way of just shrugging it off. Saying, well, they didn't mean what they said. It doesn't matter anymore. And just go on. Personally, I don't have that. And I have to struggle. Almost every, every, well, at least every week, maybe every month, sometimes every year, to keep offenses out of my life, to keep it from affecting my stand with God. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the house of God tonight that is like that. And we need to, if as a New Year's resolution, that ought to be made. And yet, I think it ought to go forth in that. I think there ought to be a covenant made between each individual and God. That if we are offended, we're going to put it under the blood. And we're not going to allow it to destroy us. And we're not going to allow it to work so deep in our lives that we would want to destroy somebody else. And Christians, saints, this has happened. And you know that. And God is not pleased with it. Sometimes, sometimes when you feel the loneliness and you don't feel God very close, ask yourself a question. What's cut the distance between me and God? What's cut the communion? Why don't I feeling anymore. Why don't I sense his presence anymore? God's just waiting out there to listen to you say, God, forgive me. I don't want that in my life. I don't want it to happen. Now, could I do something tonight? Could I just ask you in just a few minutes, bow your head when I go ahead and talk to you. Just a few minutes, I want you to remember some of us won't have very far to remember, I know. I want you to remember back since the last offense that's been in your life. And ask yourself, has it been taken care of? And as it has, well and good. Just be sure there'll be some more. But if it hasn't, it would be good if we could just stand here around this altar close together and just feel and draw strength one from another.
and just say in effect, God, help me to bridge the gap between me and thee and me and you. Without any reason at all, would you come? Stand as close together as you can and draw strength from one another an open confession. You don't have to confess to me and you don't even have to say anything else now. But ask God to put it on the blood. And ask God to help you to prepare for your heart. A soul is sacred. Our salvation is sacred. And we've had it all these years. And we don't want to reach that. Would you come? Please come.